Well, tonight we're thankful to have Dr. Van Gelderen come to preach to us. For those of you who weren't here in the morning service, Dr. Van Gelderen has been the longtime pastor of Falls Baptist Church up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. They're a great church, beautiful facility, a miracle church, what God has done. And about 19 years ago, God led them to start the Baptist College Ministry, which is their Bible college. And God has greatly blessed them with graduates around the world and uh, serving God in different areas. We, we support one of their missionaries, the Reigns family, that's over in Kenya, doing a great work for the Lord. And uh, we're just excited that the good reputation that Dr. Van Gelderen and the church has. And I know that as he's prayed up for over a year about what God wants him to do for this conference, that God has exactly the message we need. Let's open our ears to the preacher, because the Bible says, He that has an ear, let him hear. But let's open our hearts to the Lord and let God have a great work. Dr. Van Gelderen, come. We're so delighted you're coming to preach for us tonight. Amen? Amen. Thank you, sir. Amen. Well, I want to thank you for extending your uh, fellowship and heart. I've already really felt at home here. It's a great joy. I always miss my own church, but uh, I told your pastor, as I mentioned this morning, I've felt immediately at home. I'm so thankful for what God is doing. I trust you're appreciative of what God's doing. Uh, it's unusual, the, uh, all the different aspects of this ministry, and it's been very encouraging and heartening just in the one day that I've been here. It doesn't surprise me with the fellowship I've had with your pastor and his wife and uh, the ministry that he's had at our church, and now to be able to be here to see this is a true joy. Well, the pastor mentioned, uh, Brother Fong mentioned that uh, the folks in Sunday school heard the testimony that I gave, and he asked me if I would give it here. Today is a special day, and I'll explain why in a minute. Uh, My oldest son, my second-born child, uh, was two and a half years of age, when he had a dramatic change in his personality and then had a massive seizure. And we took him in uh, knowing something was drastically wrong. And I'll never forget the day that uh, the CAT scan came back and the doctor told us that he had a massive brain tumor the size of my fist in his little two-and-a-half-year-old head. And uh, I had faced a lot of things but never faced anything like that. Well, we went from the hospital there down to Children's Hospital in downtown uh, Chicago and uh, went to the top neurosurgeons, got advice from a neurosurgeon that we knew that uh, uh, lived in another town, and so he told us that these were the best, and so we took the time to go there, and they confirmed everything and then had a all-day surgery to remove at least part of that tumor. Well, the good news was that they didn't injure him, and that was a big deal. But the bad news was it was highly malignant, and of course it had already gone into the brain. And so we knew right off the bat that we were in trouble. Well, for the next couple of weeks, he had a couple emergency surgeries, so we were going through that. Plus, I was trying to do as much research as I could, and I found out that childhood cancer is not a good thing, and certainly not neurological cancer, and that his chances humanly were not very high, but you hold on to every hope that you can that things would be okay. Well, it took a good couple of weeks before the doctors were able to give us a prognosis, and I'll never forget that day, as I mentioned this morning, I was brought into a room, and when I saw a social worker and a counselor there, I knew this was not going to be good news. As a pastor, I understood how those things go. 
they sat us down, and he told us that uh, he had primitive neural or ectodermal cancer, which was cancer of the developing brain cells. And I asked him then, I said, well, doctor, what's the prognosis? What's the percentage chance uh, that he would live? I'll never forget, he put his head down and looked at me and said, we took all of this time to study every case in the Western Hemisphere, and no one ever lived, no child ever lived past a few months. And so at that moment, as I mentioned this morning, I faced impossibility. And I knew he was dead serious, and I had full respect for him. And so we talked for the next few minutes of how he was going to die and what kinds of things we wanted to do over the next weeks before he died. And that was just a chilling time, as you can imagine. But something happened in my heart after a few minutes, and it wasn't just a dad's hope, because my hope had been crushed. But the Spirit of God began to say, I can work. Well, at first I thought, well, God can do anything, and he's simply going to meet our needs, which he always does. And I, of course, know that uh, sometimes God chooses to take people home. But I grew up in a background in which I believe God could do miracles. Well, by the time the day was over, it was a work of grace in my heart and others. We believed God was going to do something. Well, things got more grim than better. Two more surgeries took place, and that's four surgeries for a little boy. It was not a good thing, um, brain surgeries. And, in fact, we almost lost him one time. But just to quickly finish the story, uh, during that time, the deacons of our church, I was not pastoring in Milwaukee yet. This was back when I was young, and uh, I was my father's associate. And the deacons there in that godly church got together and were praying, and they came to me and said, Pastor, we believe God's going to heal him. You know, I couldn't trust my own feelings because I was dead. I wanted him to live. But they said, we believe it. And they said, we've spent some serious time. And so after he finally got home after weeks and began recovering, they came to, I'll never forget it, I, I uh, taped it at that uh, point, uh, put it under his bed. They all gathered around, a large number of men, and they prayed over him. And I mean, they were praying confident, clearly spirit-led prayers. It was so clear that I was free after that. I just knew that God was going to work. Now, we were facing the deadline of his death. And we kept looking for signs of things happening. No signs. Three months, four months, five months, six months. Well, we were scheduled to have a CAT scan. This was before the day of the MRI. And so we went in for the CAT scan and... uh um, yeah, I tell you what, I had a lot of faith until I got into the hospital. <clears throat> I have to tell you, I was as human as anybody, and God had to really minister to me because I knew that I couldn't live with hope so here. I was going to be facing the reality of what could be seen. And yet, God still gave peace. And I'll never forget the time they put all the films up there, and that doctor spent probably, it seemed to me like three hours, but just probably five, ten minutes. He looked at it, looked at it, looked at it, looked at it. He said, Pastor, come over here. This was not a believer. He said, I want you to look at your son's brain. He showed me where the tumor was. He showed me where the fingers were. 
there's no cancer. He said, this is a miracle. In fact, it's such a clear miracle, I don't even need to see your son again. He had promised us earlier, he was humoring us, he said, if your son graduate, my wife said, would we believe God may heal him, would you come to our, his college graduation? And uh, he said, yes, I'll come to his college graduation, of course, realizing that wasn't going to happen. Well, my wife reminded him, <laughs> and uh, he said, I will, and he was. He was at my son. My son is, uh, today on the 8th of April was when he had his first surgery uh, 36 years ago. So God has been good. We thank God for him. And I just, uh, Pastor, wanted to just encourage you that God can do anything. And it's very encouraging. And, and by the way, did you notice the part of the local church in all of that? And that's where people have got to pray. Folks, we're going to be talking about this. God is real. The Word of God is true. The church is God's plan. And when we're walking with Him, it's really exciting when you are connected to the Almighty God, the Creator of the universe, and this is His plan, this is His very body, what God wants to do in this local church is beyond what I am able uh, to describe to you. God can do great and mighty things. So I appreciate the opportunity of giving that testimony. My wife tonight at the church, my son-in-law is preaching, and uh, he's preaching on trials, and my wife gave a 15-minute testimony, because we haven't done that for a while in the church there, and so uh, she gave the testimony. So I'll tell her we both gave testimonies. Of course, a little bit different time zone, but uh, uh, we did do it. Well, I am so thankful for the privilege of speaking on the topic of revival. And I do want to encourage you, if you can at all possibly be here, we're going to try to make this as helpful as possible to understand what personal revival is and what that can do for a church. And there's going to be a couple things that we're going to do this week. Pastor and I were talking about it. We're actually going to look at how you can maintain personal revival. Did you know you can do that? It's not just an event. And we're going to really look at prayer, but how to pray in a way that will change your life. And we'll be very clear about what we're going to do tomorrow night. Pastor and I are going to look at this. But this is very important, and I want to urge you to be here if at all possible. We're also uh, going to be looking at your place in the body of Christ as someone who is walking in the power of the Spirit. Every person here is vital to Heritage Baptist Church. You are as vital as every leader in this church. And I really urge you to be here as we look at that great principle. So I just want to throw those things out and encourage you to be here. I've thought I am as much a seeker as anybody else for the presence of God. Uh, How did I get this privilege over the years of speaking on this topic? It reminds me, in uh, Wisconsin, there is an organization, or it's a business, uh, called... uh, Riemann Publications, and they produce Taste of Home. They produce Country Magazine. Anybody heard of those at all? There's a few out here in Colorado. You probably, oh, California, excuse me. Uh, I grew up in Colorado. But, uh, well, anyway, my wife is good at getting things for almost nothing. And so they had 
a whole slew of old magazines, and she went to their thing, and so I got a bunch of country magazines. And the best part of country magazines are their stories, you know. So let me tell you one of their stories here. Uh, it tells about this corporate farm in Wisconsin. It was a multi-million dollar business enterprise. And the big storage for hay and other things, the big barns, caught on fire. And it became such a massive thing that was threatening the other buildings that not only were the small municipalities called upon, but even the larger city uh, close by. And so you had these major city fire departments coming in. I mean, this thing was a massive fire threatening a lot of livestock and, and even people. And during this, a old rattle trap of a fire truck chugged in and went right past the fire lines, right past uh, everyone, and went right into the middle of the fire. And all of a sudden you see water coming out from the middle of the fire, and miraculously, in just a few minutes, that fire was gone. And here these city fire uh, men had been working hard on it. Well, out come all these guys. They're blackened, you know, and coughing. And, and I mean, people cheered. And the owner of the of the uh, big uh, enterprise came up to him and wrote out a check right there of $5,000. And he said, I want to give it to your fire department. And the old fire chief said, well, he said, well, that's great. He said, old Betsy here, our fire truck, we've been needing to get brakes for a long time. <laughs> Well, there's some truth to that. I've been needing something for a long time, and I'll tell you what, I found him in Jesus. And so that's somehow, some way, the Lord, from my background and all, has allowed me to be in the middle of a good fire, the fire of God working, and so it is my privilege to share that with you. We're going to go to one of the most precious of all passages, and this is a follow-up to this morning's message, and I want to urge you to open your heart to allow God to make this truth real. We all know the passage, and we all know the truth, but when I've talked to most believers, they really don't understand it. John chapter 15, Abiding in Christ. We talked about the presence of Christ this morning. We talked about the reality of knowing Him in our heart. And now we want to look at what does it mean to practice the reality and presence of Christ in our lives. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word, John chapter 15, and we'll look at just the first six verses here of this great passage. John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and the Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches." He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth, say the next two words with me, much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And the men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Let's pray. Lord, would you 
allow these truths that you gave to these disciples at a crisis time in their life get a hold of our hearts through the illumination of your spirit. We pray against the evil one. May there be no ability to confuse or darken our minds here tonight. Lord, do a mighty work in our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As you look at this passage, you find three major components. Number one, the vine. Number two, the husbandman. Number three, the branch. And so we're going to look at these six verses by by taking a closer look at each one of those very important parts of the teaching of the Lord Jesus here. Now this was the time in which the disciples were in great agony of heart because they were realizing that the ominous clouds of opposition that they had seen building were coming to a climax. And Christ is telling them, as he did in chapter 14, that he's going away and that a comforter is coming. And this truth that would soon become precious was extremely troubling to them. And we call all of this the upper room discourse, but actually in chapter 15, this was not in the upper room. If you look with me at the last verse of chapter 14 of uh, John here, in the last phrase, what does he say? Arise, let us go forth, go hence. So they left the upper room and started down the little ro- uh, roads of the southern part of Jerusalem, down toward the Kidron Valley, eastward toward the Mount of Olives, as they were going to end up in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so on that pathway, we have chapters 15, 16, and 17. The teaching of 15 and 16 that follows up chapter 14 in the upper room, and then you have the great high priestly prayer. The true Lord's Prayer is chapter 17 of John. But chapter 15 is extremely as important as it lays the groundwork for this new relationship that they were going to have. And so he begins it with, I am the true vine. As they're walking along the pathway, history tells us that on the stone walls that were on both sides of those pathways would be vines acting as a trellis there holding up the vines to the sun. And so it would have been very easy for him to point to that as an illustration. And it was also on the Herodian temple, on the golden doors that they would have been able to see gleaming in the sun, was also a picture of a vine engraved that pictured uh, the nation of Israel. So I don't know what he was referring to, but uh, this was the teaching. Now I want you to notice those first two words, I am. Amen. Ah. If you study the Gospel of John, you have the great I am. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the light of the world. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am was another terminology that every Jew would know that this is speaking of Jehovah God, the eternal God. And Jesus Christ claims that reality. I am the true vine. Now, my friends... The vine was a picture of Israel, a picture of the fruitfulness, of the sustenance that Israel was to give to the world. 
They were to be the messengers of the salvation in Jehovah, the picture of the sacrifice of the Messiah that was to come. Their temple was to be a place of gospel proclamation. But unfortunately, as Hosea 10 says, Israel is an empty vine. They had lost their message. They were in unbelief. And so he says, I am. I am the true vine. My friends, Jesus Christ is God Almighty. Jesus Christ, as Colossians 1 says, spoke the worlds into being out of nothing. Jesus Christ right now is sustaining by His power this entire universe. If it was not for the power of Jesus Christ, science tells us that this universe should be spreading apart. It is the power of the living God, especially in Christ, as Colossians 1 tells us. He is preeminent above all. And so, therefore, in Christ, we have everything we need. The vine provided the nourishment for the branches and for the fruit. All the love that we need, all the power that we need, all the truth that we need, all the victory that we need, everything is in Christ. He's life. He's purpose. He is the center of everything. I am the true vine. Now, keeping that in mind, we have another part of the story that is often lost as we look at it. And that is the purging husbandman. There in verse 2, every branch that beareth not fruit, what happens? He taketh away. Who's the he? My father is the husbandman. Now, folks, isn't it wonderful to know right now, I want you to get a hold of this, the entire Trinity is working on your behalf. I mean, that is an amazing thought. The Spirit of God is interceding. The Spirit of God is illuminating right now. The Spirit of God, if you've got an open heart at all, is working in your heart. You have the the Savior who is making intercession for us and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is our advocate And then you have the Father working to ensure that we are able to live the life of the vine, His Son, to accomplish everything that He foreordained should be accomplished when God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So right now, your life is touched by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now don't tell me nobody cares about you. Okay. Don't tell me that you're all alone. The triune God's on your side. Folks, really, that's shouting ground. Oh, we get in our own little pity parties, our, get in our little boxes. My friends, the world, we can understand when they get depressed. But we have a, a tremendous God. However, the husbandman, the father, is very jealous that we live the life of Christ. So if we're not bearing fruit... He, it says here, taketh away. Now, if you study the Greek on this, the major meaning of that word is the idea of taking away from where it is located. It has the idea of lifting up. What does a husbandman do for a vine branch that has gotten onto the ground? What is a trellis for? 
water, if you've ever worked with vines, it's very intricate work. And, of course, close to here you have the vineyards. And those branches have to be in exactly the right location for the sunshine, for the right amount of air and openness. All of that is vital for there to be appropriate fruit. As uh, one uh, commentator says that uh, the... uh, um, the vine grapes are not like pumpkins. They are not like squash. They do not uh, live. They are not going to flourish in the dark, dank, not uh, away from the sunlight, away from the fresh air. They're not going to function in that spot. So they have to be lifted up. Now, here's the simple point. Folks, we can talk all we want to about abiding in Christ and about the great privilege we have of God working in our life and that union of relationship. But I'm telling you, if we are down in the darkness of the world, as we mentioned this morning, if we are not in the fresh air of God's presence and the Holy Spirit working, if we are not in communion with the Lord, if we are are in that darkness that Satan constructs through this world system, we're not going to bear fruit. Now, here's the point. Whatever the Father has to do, He will do to get you back into the sunshine. Now, let me just share my heart here. I gave you the illustration about my son. I was five years into the ministry. God was working, but there were some still very great needs of growth in my life. God knew I was not bearing the fruit that I should. That trial was the loving hand of the vine dresser, the father, getting a hold of me as the branch, getting me out of the immaturity and self-centeredness that's so easy in those years to be, broke my heart, woke me up, helped me see what life was really about, and then showed me his power. And as hard as that is, and I have to look at my son's scar every day, that was God's loving chastening for his servant. A very hard chastening. But it's good. I guarantee you, I would not be standing here today had not the husbandman done what he did. Don't be afraid of chastening. Don't be afraid of trials. Don't be afraid of the hard things. Oh, you know, I don't want anything bad to happen to me. Listen, some people are afraid to surrender to the Lord because they don't want God to, to, to cause trials to come. I got good, I got news for you. You're going to have trials anyway. You might as well have them orchestrated by a loving God. I mean, life is a trial. Isn't that right? I don't mean to be negative here. This is supposed to be encouraging, but it really, it's a cursed existence. If nothing else, that thing called age. He referred to Dr. Ed Nelson. He reminded me recently that uh, old age is not for sissies. You know, I mean, uh, uh, it's a, it's a trial. So God's got all kind of tools. But the point is this, and this is what I want you to get: your life is so important to God the Father that He's going to do everything He can to get you into the sunshine of His presence and to get you into the fresh 
air, so to speak, of the reality of the heavenly breezes, of what is really important in the spiritual realm. He's going to do whatever it takes. It is so important to him that you live the life of, of Christ, that he's going to keep working on your life. I'll tell you, Christian, you may... The world can pursue success, and they might find it, but Christians that pursue success are going to have problems. Young people, if you think that making money and being a top professional is what life is all about, and you see young people your age starting to succeed, you will not have the same pathway because there's a husbandman in heaven, and his name is the Father, and he loves you. And he knows that the only real purpose for your life is going to be in full connection with the Son of the living God. And he sent his Son to die for us. And his Son is exalted in heaven and is right now involved in our lives. And the Father is individually working in our lives to bring us into a place that we have that vital union so that we can produce much fruit. Do not, as Hebrews 12 says despise the chastening of the Lord. You know, you may be going through a trial right now and you're getting bitter about it. Don't do that. Say, Lord, thank you. In fact, you know, I quote this verse every morning in my prayer hour. And I thank the Lord for continuing to deal with my self-life. I don't like trials, but whatever it takes, I want to walk with God. And I'm telling you, it's a wonderful thing. Now, the second part of that verse says... Uh, that if he, um, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he lifts up. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth what? More fruit. Okay. So there are the Christians who are being pruned. That has the idea of pruning. And, of course, what is pruning all about? What happens is you have branches that come in a vine or any other kind of a, of a plant that draw off the sap that's coming from the roots. And if you do not channel the sap toward the fruit-bearing branches and do not cleanse that vine, you will not have the, the quality of fruit, here in, in this case the grape, that you would want to have. And so... Pruning is important, and it's a, quite a science. It all depends on what kind of, um, of a plant you're dealing with. Horticulture is quite an amazing thing. But that constant pruning is to produce the best plant, the best tree, with the best fruit. Andrew Murray says it this way, Why must this be cut away? Speaking of these um, little branches, because it draws away the strength and life of the vine and hinders the flow of the juice to the grape. The more it is cut down, the less wood there is in the branch, and the more all the sap can go to the grape. The wood of the branch must decrease that the fruit for the vine may increase. In obedience to the law of all nature, that death is the way to life, that gain comes through sacrifice, the rich and luxuriant growth of wood must be cut off and cast away that the more abundant life may be seen in the cluster. So what are, we, what are we talking about? You're bearing fruit. You're here tonight, Sunday night. You've got a heart to hear the Word of God. You follow your pastor's lead, and you endeavor to win people to Christ. Some good things are happening. I'll guarantee you there's still self-life to be dealt with, right? 
Yeah, there's all kinds of habits of thinking and desires that we have and motives that we have that are really keeping us from the fullness of God's presence, the fullness of God's power. And so God will continually work on cutting away that self-life. Now, folks, the best way for that to occur is verse 3. Now ye are clean, speaking of this process, through the word which I have spoken unto you. Good piece of advice. Take conviction from the word over trials. Do you realize if you have a heart that's open at all tonight, you're going to go through a trial? It's very possible God will convict you. All of a sudden, he'll bring something to mind. You'll realize that a decision of life has to be made. Priorities have to be changed. God begins to go deeper in your heart and you realize, I've got to make some decisions that are going to go directly against my flesh and myself. And my flesh is screaming. That's a trial. And so the best cleansing, folks, is for the knife of the Word of God through the preaching, teaching, and your own study of the Word to cut off that self-life so that the Spirit of God can work. And that's what the husband and men is doing. Listen, tonight, we know the Spirit of God convicts, but if you have conviction about things that you know are holding you back from really being the man or woman of God, you ought to be, that's the Father in heaven also. I woke up to this a few years ago, and I realized, wow, I knew the Spirit convicts, but the Father... The Father is working. He doesn't want us to waste one moment of our life. Oh, the self-life. Little boy and girl had just gotten to one of those old-fashioned wooden uh, uh, rocking horses, and uh, they're both on there, and it's a little crowded, you know, and one wanted to go one way, one wanted to go the other, and the little boy said, uh, you know, this would be better... Uh, if there was just one uh, on this horse, and that should be me. <laughs> well, that's the way it is. We want our way, we want ourselves to be in the center of things going well. Folks, the self-life is such a problem. We talked about how Satan uses the, wor- uh, the world. And I know I've, I've been dealing with this, but folks... Holiness and living for God doesn't make you spiritual, but you cannot be spiritual without it. We are really, we're encompassed by a lot of things that gratify the flesh. We don't have maybe major addictions, but we've got minor addictions that are still addictions. How much money do we waste? How much time do we waste? I alluded to that earlier. Entertainment. Social networking. Hours of time. A few years ago, I had to begin to start dealing very strongly with our young mothers when I began to realize that some of them were on the social networking at 2 a.m. in the morning. No young mother can do that or should do that. We wonder why we don't get up in the morning and spend an hour with God. See, these are things that are really hurting us. And see, the Spirit of God and the Father are teaming up to do what? They want you to get rid of that self-life. Folks, there is always enough time to do the will of God. 
That's a little statement I say all the time for time management in our church. There is always, there is always enough time to do the will of God. The problem is our priority choices, not that there's not enough time. And so, folks, the Father, and I want you to get this, God Almighty, the Father, is very concerned that you bear much fruit for the sake of the glory of His Son. And my friends, before we know it, we're going to look at the throne, and there is going to be God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And God wants us to allow Him to do the work that needs to be done. Now the focus of this message is the third part, and that is the abiding branch. We've seen the true vine, and that's Jesus. The husbandman is the father, and the abiding branch is us. All right, here's the most important statement I'm going to make all night. When you look at a vine, do you look at a vine and say, wow, look at that vine and look at those branches? Would a normal person ever say that unless you knew this passage? No. What would you say? Look at the vine. Because what is part of the vine? The branches. Are you following me? This is an amazing statement. Ye are the branches. Let's read it here in verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, and ye are the branches. Now, folks, there's a little prepositional phrase that you find over and over in the New Testament, and it is in Christ. I was in Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. I am in Christ, and Christ is in me by the sealing and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have the life of Christ, and God sees us as a oneness. Marriage is a picture of that. What do we say at every wedding that you have up here? To become one. Who is our bridegroom, and who is the bride? Now, this is, this is a only spiritually understood concept, but it's a glorious concept. I am in Christ. Christ is in me. I'm part of the vine. I am part of Christ. Now, friends, this is why the Father is so intent on working in your lives. As we look at the crowd here tonight, every one of you that truly knows Christ is, as your Savior... You are a branch of the vine, which means you're part of the vine. May I say this in a biblical context? I'm looking at Christ tonight. What is the local church called? The body of Christ. He's the head. You know, we get sort of used to these statements. My friend, you are not just a Christian that holds on to a theological hold on truth, and you've been saved by the Spirit of God You are part of Christ, and Christ is in you. It's a mystery. But remember, our very being is what? Spiritual. And where does the Spirit of God live? In our spirit. 
Now, we look at ourselves, and I go, you know, I see the flesh, all right? And you do the same thing. But what does Ephesians 4.24 say? We are created in righteousness and true holiness. That's an amazing thought. We are a new creation. We are born again. We have new life. I don't like my flesh, but I'm telling you what, if you were to look at my spirit today, it's holy, it's as holy and righteous as Jesus Christ. I have been saved. And so have you. Listen, would the Holy Spirit indwell anything else? Isn't it amazing the Holy Spirit would indwell us? We know how weak we are. He indwells our spirit. And so, my friends, he manifests Christ in our spirit. And so spiritually, we are one with Christ. And if we allow the Spirit of God to control, we actually, get this, live the life of Christ. We talked about the presence of Christ this morning. We're talking about living the life of Christ for his glory and for his purpose. We're not talking about just doing things for Christ. We're not talking about being part of a Christian club. We're not talking about trying to accomplish some good goals for the Lord. We're talking about living His life. See, this abiding thing is a big deal. Now, going back to verse 4, that's a command. Abide in me, and I in you. You notice, in him. And he and us, the oneness, both ways. But we make the choice to abide. Now, here's what gets confusing. Once we're in Christ, we are in Christ. The word abide means to remain or continue. By the way, keeping that in mind will, will revolutionize your understanding of 1 John. Because 1 John is all about abiding. If you get a hold of that, it will explode. What did John say at the beginning of 1 John? I'm writing this because I want you to have fellowship with the, with the Son. I want you to have that dynamic reality of knowing Christ and having that be 24-7, the very purpose, the reality of your life, not just talking Christianity, living Christ. It's thrilling when you think about it. And so we have to make a decision So here's the point. I need to act and live in full dependence upon the vine as the branch does. I can tell you right now, there's no branch that's thinking, yeah, I can do my own thing. You know, I'll do just quite, I'll do quite fine without the, without the vine. I mean, no branch obviously would think such silly thoughts, but that's what we do. We think we can do it ourselves or do it our way. But we lose that wonderful flow of the life-giving divine sap, so to speak, energizing power and presence of God by our own self-will and our own independence. Now, what happens to a branch that is independent from any kind of a tree? It dies, doesn't it? Aren't you glad you can't be broken off? But you can live that way. You can live that way. No fruit, no leaves, no union, 
and yet you are in him. You know, this is, this is a reality whether you know it or not. You are in Christ and Christ is in you, but you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can choke the channel. You can stop the flow. Even though you are forever united with Christ, you do not have the advantage of being a branch that's in connection with that divine power to accomplish His purpose. It has the idea of depending upon Him for every part of our life. James McConkie in his book says it so well. Speaking of the filling of the Spirit, which is the same as abiding in Christ, God thus does not fill us as we might fill a pail with a supply independent of and separate from the fountain. He fills us as the branch is filled from the vine by union with it and daily, hourly drawing upon it for every whit of its supply. And so he who looks to Jesus constantly will not lack blessings. But he who looks to blessings will often lose hold upon Christ. In other words, we need to humbly realize that our life is not our own. So what are we talking about? Ever heard a message on surrender? (laughs) Ever heard a message on getting right with God? Sure, all the time. Why is that preached? Because we're so self-willed, especially in our culture today. Christ wants to live his life through you, but he won't do it if you're living your own life. Wanting him to bless you, wanting him to give you sanction for what you want to do. Your motives still are about you. You want to gratify some of the goals that you have. It's so We've all been there. I've already given you testimonies of my own life. But I'm telling you, when you get a hold of the great privilege of the fact I'm a, I'm a branch in the vine and that life is all about his life and that I can live today Christ's life. I can manifest to this world Christ. I can have his power. I can have his mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You'll see it explode all throughout the New Testaments. Testament. We can live the reality of his life. I can touch people's lives as though Christ were here on earth. In fact, in chapter 14, he says, it's better for you that I go. He says that later. But then in 14, he says that if you believe, you can do the works that I do. And then he goes on to say, you can do greater works than I do. Why is that? Because I go to my father. My friends, Jesus Christ at the cross conquered Satan. And in the spiritual realm, he, he has full domination. He's seated at the right hand of power right now. And did you know that you and I, when we are in total union with Christ and the Spirit of God is controlling us, we can have a more, and this is really, you almost feel irreverent saying it, we can have a greater ministry than Christ did. I'm not speaking of the cross, but I'm speaking of ministry. That's what he said. Now, folks, we are not living greater works ministries. We are not seeing that kind of power, but we could. You can, and I can if I will abide, depend, remain in a position of dependency upon Christ. Remember, the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, verse 4. I have never done anything worthwhile unless Christ did it. And you haven't either. I cannot manufacture goodness. 
the world can do good things, but their righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And so the issue is completely yielded to him, trusting him just like a branch would for all of its nourishment, all of the power to be able to bear fruit, all the ability to stay alive and to be vibrant. That's what we derive from the true vine. He is God. He is everything that we need. We need to stay in a total abide, remain, continue in a continual dependent relationship. Story of uh, two ducks and a frog in a pond. They become good friends. And by the way, this is not a true story. Um, but uh, they were uh, good friends. And well, a drought came. I don't know if you know anything about droughts in California. Uh, but uh, a drought showed up and that pond was no longer. And so the two ducks were, well, they were just fine. They could fly somewhere else. But good old froggy. He was, uh, he was in trouble. And uh, he said to his friends, you can't let me just dry up here. And they said, well, what, what can we do about it? Well, he's a pretty smart frog. You get pretty smart when you're desperate. So he saw a, a, a branch and he said, you put one branch in your bill and then likewise the other. And I'll hold on with my mouth and you can fly me to the next pond. Oh, I thought that was a great idea. So that's exactly what they did. And so it's just perfect. They're flying. I mean, it was quite a sight. An old farmer in the field looked up and said, wow, that's amazing. I wonder who thought of that. And the old frog said, I did. (laughs) We won't tell the end of that story. But folks, that's exactly what happens to us. Take heed when ye think ye stand, lest ye fall. Get discouraged, dry. Where's God? No answers to prayer. Things are happening in your marriage. Things are happening in your family you don't like. Things aren't coming together. You don't see any fruit. My friends, it's not God. It is independent living. It is not abiding, remaining in full dependence upon the vine. Now let me conclude and we'll be done here. Verse 6 has confused a lot of people. It's a powerful verse. If a man abide not in me, does not remain in a dependent, fully dedicated relationship with me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now again, I want to you interpret Scripture by Scripture. He is not referring here to a break in the relationship for eternity. What he is saying here is that your life in a non-abiding position is worthless. They've already said that. Now, if you know anything about different woods, uh, you can use branches off of trees or branches off of even different bushes, and they can either be good fuel or even be good wood, obviously. We use wood all the time. But if you take a vine branch, you can't even burn it for any heat. It's worth nothing. It's thrown into the trash fire. And that's what he's saying. If you're not abiding in me, you're as worthless as a vine branch that's dead, and you might as well throw it into the trash heap. 
Sound like anything you've heard of? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Now my friends, it's one thing about us not bearing fruit now. And that's tragic. And it's, uh, and having problems in our lives and not having the fullness of God and not having God deliver us, all of that is tragic. But I'm telling you, there's going to be a day when it's really going to be tragic. Because, you see, your life is part of the ministry of Christ. And there are literally hundreds of people that need to be touched by your life. God has supernatural things that Christ wants to do in you as you are part of Him. And when we do not depend upon Him and we dry up in our life and we're not walking spiritually, our, all of that part of our life is trash. That's what it says. Wood, hay, stubble. It's gone. First Corinthians chapter 5 says there's going to be a day when we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And everything is going to be clearly manifest at that time, whether it's good or bad. Not speaking of penal judgment, it's speaking of whether our life has been through the power of Christ or of our own flesh. And I believe we'll all be known for who we are. There are going to be Christians who have been saved for 50 years. They'll have very little standing as Christ. And there'll be some younger Christians who have dedicated their lives and were abiding in Christ, and God gave them much fruit. And people will look at a life that has eternal standing. My friends, the only thing you'll take with you to heaven is, number one, the souls that you've had a part of reaching and then the spiritual development in your life and the spiritual development in other people's lives through the work of Jesus Christ. That will be what is manifest and rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. It's going to all be about Christ. And my friends, that could be in a few weeks. It could be in a couple of months. Don't know exactly during the tribulation when it will happen, but I think it will be on the front end, is my personal opinion. If that trump were to sound tonight, how much of your life would it be gone? And how much of your life, because you have lived his life, will cause shouts of glory to the Savior as people see Jesus in you? And the saints and the angelic hosts are able to praise the Lord. That's what it's all about. Rewards are not for us, they're for Him. It could be around the corner. That's why the husbandman's working hard. That's why the Spirit is convicting. Folks, we can't talk about revival because we'd like to see something exciting happen. We ought to have personal revival so God can do that which He longs to do. Folks, the potential at Heritage Baptist Church is unbelievable. And I'm not just saying that. And if we would learn to abide in Christ, the greater works of Jesus Christ, His life could multiply throughout these communities around here. Not because we're so great, but He's great. And He can do it.
My friend, are you living Christ's life? Are you living Christ's life? Are you letting God work? Are you dependent on Him? Let me ask you, last week, how much divine grace was seen in your life? How much was done miraculously? And how much of your life can be explained humanly? How much have you been an abiding vine that has produced much eternal fruit? And how much has just been your own life? How real has Christ been? Have you awakened and thought about him? Gone to bed thinking about him? Are you in love with Jesus? Folks, I'm not just talking hyperbole here. This is what it's talking about. I'm not talking about pious Christians. I'm just talking about real, honest, genuine branches of the vine who know they need Christ. I'm telling you, if you want meaning for life, you start abiding and you'll find it. For his glory, for the sake of all that he did on the cross, did on the cross, we need to abide in him. Let's bow for prayer. Appreciate your good attention here this evening. Folks, can you be honest before God? God knows your heart. How much of your life can you honestly say you are abiding, depending, living with that reality of His grace, that illumination of of the truth, that the constant victory over self, and seeing God touch other lives? It's a challenge for all of us. And my friend, how ready are you if the rapture were to come today? We don't have to fear being judged, but we do have a greater fear, and that's of disappointing our Savior. It's not a matter of just disappointing Him. A lot of lives will be lost because we didn't let God do the work that He wants to do. That's revival, folks. It's just the life of Christ. You are Christ. Are you living Christ? You are in Him. He's in you. See, Pastor Van Geldren, tonight God is working in my heart. And there are times when I am very aware of Christ, but there's far too much time when I'm just living my life. I'm just focused on what I want to do, and i got to admit, there's not power. There's not blessing. There are issues that come up in my life during those times. I need God. And I realize the potential that would be there if I was abiding in Him. And I want to be honest before the Father tonight that I know He's working in my life, that the Spirit of God is convicting. And I want to glorify the Lord. I am a branch, I know that, but I want to be an abiding branch. I don't want my life to be wasted. I want to be ready when I see Jesus and hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. With heads bowed, if you'd say, Yes, preacher, God is dealing with me. I am not remaining, trusting, depending upon Him nearly like I should be. I'm not seeing His supernatural working in my life. I need to be revived. I need the life of Christ. I've got some things I've got to deal with. I've got some things I've got to change by the grace of God, but I'm not where I should be, but I want to be. And I would appreciate your prayer for me here tonight. With heads bowed, would you just slip your hand up nice and high so I can see if God is working in your heart tonight. God bless you. Thank you. You may put your hands down. 
friend, if you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you are not a branch. You see, it's not through our effort or our being good. It is all through the work of Jesus Christ. And friend, I would urge you today to realize he loves you and he'll save you. You become an eternal child of God and you could be saved tonight. Is there anyone like that? You say, Pastor, if I were to die, I'm not certain what would happen. Thinking of facing God really scares me. Would you pray for me? Would you slip up your hand? We'd love to pray for you also. Anyone like that here tonight? I need the Lord. Please pray for me. Lord, work in hearts. Lord, we just need to humble ourselves. We're so gl- Lord, I'm so glad you'll do it. You're ready to do it. You've given us everything we need. It's not us trying harder. It's depending fully. Now give all of these that indicated that they're listening to you. Great grace now. Work in their hearts. In Jesus' name. Let's stand just prayerfully. Why don't we just have the piano play right now? And if you need to do business with God and just say, I'm going to depend upon you, Lord. I am going. I want to abide in you. I want to grow in this. I want my life to be a reality of Christ. I'm tired of having self-life dominate. I encourage you to come and just say, Lord, I am giving myself to you as best I know. How would you deliver me? Would you work in my heart? Would you come now as the piano plays? We needed that message tonight. And it really boils down to this. Independence or total dependence. Oh, we know what we can do in our power, but it really doesn't produce a whole lot. What if God could have full control? There could be purging so that the vine and the branch are working such a way, in such an inseparable way, that much fruit could result. Let's be honest tonight. What does God see? No fruit? Little fruit? More fruit? Or much fruit? It's all about fellowship. It's all about how deeply are we abiding in Him. Let's be honest tonight. No prayer? No power. No faith? No power. No Bible? No power. We don't let read the Bible for how we wanted to say what we wanted to say about what we wanted to say. We let the Bible speak to us. Tonight we need that. We needed what we heard this evening. We need God to help us to be dependent upon Him, to let go and abide in Him, and let the Lord work in our hearts. There may be some things God needs to cut away right now. Maybe God is cutting some things away. I don't know about you, this, these revival meetings, we need God to work in us in such a way that when we leave, something's different. There's fruit where previously there was little fruit. There's abounding where before there was no abounding. We'll wait just a little bit longer. Thank you for being very sincere. But would you come tonight? You say, well, I can take care of this at home. But you know what? I, did, I think I've learned something. When the Holy Spirit works, we need to take care of it right away. We need to take care of it in a way where we're contrite and humble We bar ourselves before God. A contrite heart, God will not despise. We'll wait just a little bit longer. And then tonight, if you're not saved, if you're not 100% sure you're going to spend eternity in heaven, we invite you to come tonight. The starting point is getting Christ as your Savior. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart, God's raised from the dead, 
thou shalt be saved. We'll wait just a little bit longer. Let's not delay. Let's ask God through these meetings, beginning even tonight, that the Lord would have his way in our hearts. Would you let him? Father, thank you tonight for giving Brother Van Gelderen great liberty to preach John chapter 15. And Lord, truths that are so familiar, but truths that seem evasive to us, truths that we seem to avoid, and we don't really, really don't apply the principles as we can. And Father, this evening we, we long to, tonight as we, we guard, put our arms around everything we've heard, that our fellowship with God would be closed. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, we can't do it in ourselves. No more can ye except you abide in me. And Lord, tonight we, we long to get that connection where it should be. And the flowing of the vine into the branches is uninterrupted, is without interference, and with God able to work in us, help us tonight to have that closest. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. And Lord, tonight we want that fellowship so close, Lord, that, Lord, we are we are abiding with you, that, Lord, that we can bear the fruit that you want. Father, this evening, help us not to be satisfied with little. Help us not to be satisfied with, this, with, with, with the way we've gone. Help us to realize even this just the urgency of the moment that, Lord, we'll stand before the Lord one day to give an account for what happened with our life. And it all finds its 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 its, its roots back in our fellowship with you. Tonight, Lord, let what was said tonight just dwell deep in our heart. Let it work in our conscience. Let it work in our thoughts. Let it bother us. Let it move us. Let it help us, Lord, to be better Christians. And then tonight, Lord, as we go home in our separate ways, help us get rest. And yet beyond all the rest, we pray that, Lord, we make commitments to be here Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night so the Lord can have his way. Thank you for all that's transpired. Thank you for blessing, courage, your hearts the way you have. Give Dr. Van Gelderen wisdom and guidance and direction, Lord, for the uh, the next upcoming messages and direction for what to preach and how to deal with our lives. We commit this to you tonight. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I, I needed that tonight. Amen. That was a great message this evening. And, you know, sometimes we can read through John 15 or pastors like that, and we, we can tend to just kind of rush through that. But I want you to think with me for just a moment the context as he started the message. Those disciples were thinking about, you know, Jesus is talking about dying and this is, and he's going to raise himself back up. And in and their mind, of, their way of thinking, they were thinking, well, how are we going to carry on the work? They're thinking about what they can do without Christ when Christ was trying to refocus them on what they needed to do with him. And a lot of times we try to solve our own problems. And then we realize we only come to God and get really serious about things when we realize our back's against the wall. And I thought it was very appropriate as Dr. Van Gelderen just kind of led into the message by talking about his son Wayne and how he went through that deep valley and that situation. Only God could have solved that. Only God could have produced the fruit of that. And we have to realize something. The more it's about Jesus and the less it's about us, the greater we're going to have an impact for Jesus Christ in our lives and our church there. Dr. Van Gelderen will be at the front if you want to meet him and have him sign your Bible. He'll be there at the front in just a moment. And I hope that you'll come avail yourself of him. And if you need some, some you know, maybe a question, anything about his, the college that they have, come see him about that. And we're just excited that he's with us and hope you'll be in prayer for his church as well there too. I'm thankful he took a Sunday away from his own church to be with us today. And uh, that, you know, is something most pastors don't want to do. But sometimes the Lord might lead in an unusual way. And I'm thankful he was able to take a Sunday to be with us for today to kind of just kick off this spring conference. I believe that this next three days and beginning today and the next three days are very important days that will help us for the days ahead. It may, be the year, it may be something significant that some of us will decide upon that will be life-changing, that will impact our air for Jesus Christ. It might be some man might get called to preach. 
It might be a missionary couple might be sent out of the church. And I hope that you just be sent to the Lord working in that capacity, and it will be glorified. Just a couple things tonight. We have uh, the ladies that are part of the, the committee working on the, on the, uh, the ladies' special meeting coming May 5th. You have a meeting tonight. You've already been contacted. Please be reminded this evening, as soon as we say amen, that you meet over in the junior high, uh, the girls' junior high classroom there for your quick meeting that you have tonight. And then we, again, urge you to be here tomorrow night, Tuesday night, Wednesday at 7 p.m. Just rearrange your schedule, try to work things out so you can be here on time. And uh, the, the Lord will work through those services. And then we want to remind all of our ladies this coming Thursday morning at 10 o'clock, the Joyful Ladies Fellowship will be meeting for, for time of Bible study and encouragement. So you, you just mark that down, ladies. If you're not already committed uh, to work, if you're off and you're not, not working or you're not uh, in school, we encourage you to be there and just be encouraged by, by the time of devotion there. Well, let's close in prayer. Let's ask God for his blessing upon us as we dismiss. And again, Dr. Van Gelder will be at the bottom here, right, right at the front here, to sign your Bible and meet with you. And I'm sure he'll look forward to shaking your hand and, and greeting you accordingly. Father, bless us now as we go our separate ways. Thank you for a wonderful day in the house of God. Thank you for those received into membership. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God that's been preached. Thank you for the baptisms today. Thank you for safety. Thank you, Lord, for a good turnout in church this morning. And we give you the glory and the praise for these things. Help us to please you now. We ask your dismissal now in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.